0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Real Deal with Jason Silverman. I'm your host, Jason Silverman, and I'm thrilled to share some time with you today. Well, the weather outside has certainly been frightful lately here in New Jersey. Uh, first, we got slammed with an ice storm, then a bunch of snow that canceled school and, I don't know, pretty much everything else around here, and then a little bit more snow. What can you say? It's wintertime. Now, looking at it through the eyes of my children, I got a, a four year old named Tally and a three year old son named Noah. And they're having an absolute blast. They're sledding, they're tubing, they're having snowball fights. You know, even shoveling is fun for them. I always find it so amazing to see the world through their eyes, you know. They don't view things as work. It's just another way and another op- opportunity to play. Um, quite honestly, I learned more from them than I do from almost anything else recently. So that's uh that's an exciting takeaway, and we haven't even started our interview yet. Anyway... Well, I still secretly enjoy running my snowblower, and I, and I got to tell you, um, I'm, I'm kind of like a kid in a candy store. I get to go outside, play with gasoline, start this puppy up, and, and really have fun with it. Um, I do feel like it's gotten a little bit too much use in the past week or so, so I'm ready to sit inside, drink some hot cider, and, and really buckle down, get ready for the holidays and then a new year. Hopefully, you are too. Now... In all honesty, I am super, super pumped for today's show. Every now and then, I have to stop and pinch myself to make sure that I'm actually awake and not dreaming. You know, I I get the opportunity to talk to some of the best, some of the brightest, and, and easily some of the most inspirational people on the planet. And then I get to bring that information directly to the people who need to hear it and hear it today, people just like you. Now, today's show is going to open a lot of eyes and potentially make your interactions with people way more productive and valuable. Now for the folks who I work with in any of my coaching programs, my mastermind groups, or through powerful words character development, all-star cheer sites, or even dance sites done right, you know how much I stress the importance of developing your people skills so that doing business is dramatically easier and more fun, right? Well today's guest is a master at doing just that, and more importantly, he's an expert at helping business owners just like you and me to be even better at it. How cool is that? As I'm sure you already know, I'm committed to helping business owners to become more successful, enjoy your careers more, and in general, make your life significantly more fun. Okay? So it's that time, boys and girls. I want you to stop surfing Facebook, put away your phone, your tablet, put your dog in another room if you have to, or anything else that might possibly distract you from today's show. You're about to get some great and immediately implementable information, and I don't want you to miss even a second of it. So. Before we officially get going, I want to give you a little bit of background about our guest today. Can you really systematically and consistently get the results you want from others while making them feel genuinely good about themselves, about the process, and about you? Today's guest says, absolutely. Bob Berg is a sought-after speaker at corporate conventions and for entrepreneurial events. He regularly addresses audiences ranging in size from 50 to 16,000, sharing the platform with notables including today's top thought leaders, broadcast personalities, Olympic athletes, and political leaders including a former United States President. Although for years he was best known for his book Endless Referrals, over the past few years. It's his business parable, The Go-Giver, co-authored with John David Mann, that has captured the heart and imagination of his readers. It shot to number six on the Wall Street Journal's business bestsellers list just three weeks after its release, and it reached number nine on Business Weeks. Since its release, it has consistently stayed in the top 25 on 800CEO Reed's business book bestseller list. It's been translated into 21 languages. It's his fourth book to sell over 250,000 copies He believes his new book, Adversaries into Allies, Win People Over Without Manipulation or Coercion, is by far his most important work yet. Bob is an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. He's also an unapologetic animal fanatic and serves as a member of the board of directors of Furry Friends Adoption and Clinic in Jupiter, Florida. Wow. Bob, welcome to The Real Deal. I'm thrilled to have you today.
1: Well, Jason, thanks for having me. Thank you for that very kind introduction.
0: Very appreciated. Well, oh, that appreciation's on our end. So, listen, before we get started, for those who haven't had the sincere opportunity and pleasure of meeting you or hearing you speak or reading any of your books, which you absolutely must, would you mind taking a second, share your story with our listeners? What are you passionate about? What makes you tick? Who is Bob Burke?
1: Well, a couple things make me tick. I guess one is uh, one is the topic that I that I speak about, which really, in this, as you were saying earlier, it's it's about people skills. It's about understanding that you can have so many uh, positive success traits, and yet if you if you're not able to really work with people in a in an effective way that benefits all the parties concerned, uh, your ability to attain really significant success is somewhat limited. On, on the other hand, when you, when you can, through a a combination of benevolent intent and a learned skill set, when you really can move people to the desired and appropriate action, your life becomes a lot more fun, As, as you were mentioning, uh, a lot less stressful and a lot more profitable. So that, this is something I'm very passionate about. I'm also very passionate about, uh, free enterprise and free markets and, and, Really helping to, to trying to help educate the, the American public to understand that uh, a, 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 an economic system based on free minds and free markets, known as free market capitalism, is really the best for everyone in terms of uh, a, a country that is prosperous, that's abundant, and that benefits all individuals, especially those who who need it the most. And that what we've seen over the past 75 years or so should not be confused with, with capitalism, but is, is really a very mixed economy. And, uh, you know, so I'm very, very passionate about explaining that, because when people really, you know, it's hard to, to love what you don't really understand. And because there are so many misconceptions about what free market capitalism really is, and people often confuse that with cronyism, um, it 's made it so that we 're more and more as a country wanting government and i 'm talking about both sides of the aisle i 'm not picking on either one in particular. Uh, more and more wanting government to run our lives when really their legitimate function and where they work best is simply providing the environment where people are free to live their own lives however they see fit, providing they don 't infringe upon the rights of anyone else to do the same. so i 'd say those two two topics are my are my passion and really what I live for.
0: Spectacular. Well, let's let's dive in because you know I'm I'm a major fan of yours, so this is kind of like uh, kind of like me being a kid in a candy store today. So I'm, I, I got a lot to I got a lot to ask you. Um, first off, you know your book, "Adversary into Allies." You know, are you saying that everyone and anyone who in any way disagrees with you is your enemy?
1: Uh, that's what it sounds like, doesn't it, right? No, not, not really. In, in, in this case, when I talk about adversaries, I'm really just speaking within the context of anyone who, for whatever reason, maybe the position they're in or the circumstances that happen to be involved, uh, they're standing in the way, uh, perhaps even unintentionally, of your satisfaction. And it might be uh, the, uh, customer, the person at the customer service desk, and you've brought back an item to exchange and you forgot your receipt, and they have a policy about not uh, issuing refunds without receipts, and you need to be able to work within that in order to to help them to help you, whether it's that person personally or helping them take the steps to get the person who, who does have the authority and being able to work with it in a way that they feel good about you and that they want to help you. Uh, it could also be... That boss from whom you're asking for a raise, or that that customer or client that you're having trouble collecting money from when they owe it to you, uh, they're not they're not enemies, but there is a bit of an adversarial situation here. So we need to be able to turn those adversaries into allies. You know, uh, Jason, I always enjoyed what Sadaharu Oh, the great Japanese home run hitter, said about this. Uh, he, he used to say that that he never saw the opposing pitcher as his adversary but rather as his partner in hitting home runs (laughs) and along that same vein, I see adversaries as being people who are our partners in terms of our attaining personal satisfaction as well as our partners in personal growth because in order to be that person who can who can win people over and have those kind of uh, people skills, we need to grow on the inside. I
0: love that. Uh, you know, and it's funny, when I was reading your book, um, you know, I, I read that line about the pitcher being my partner in hitting home runs, and it, it really struck me first as funny, and then, and then it really, it was so accurate. Um, you know, and I thought back to pretty much every sales experience I've had, that you know either went well or didn't, and it was really, did I did I work well with that person or not? So again, it's it's really a different way to look at things, and and one that's really refreshing. So one of the other topics you, you speak about a lot, and I hear about this everywhere. You know, the word influence is possibly used, you know, way actually way way too much and probably improperly, but. You know, I know it's used throughout your book. Um, what do you really feel influence is, and, and why do you feel that it's so important?
1: Yeah, well, I think you make a, a great point. And influence is a word that has become so used, it's almost lost its meaning. Uh, and uh, you know, I was a little bit uptight about even using that as a as a main concept of the book, only for that reason. At the same time, influence is so important that it needs to be discussed. And that's also why I defined it very early in the book. Uh, You know, know, how important is it? Well, Dr. John Maxwell, uh, a great leadership speaker and author, he has often said that influence is everything. (laughs) And, you know, when you really think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Now, let's define influence first. I define influence as simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action usually within the context of a specific goal. I mean, that's literally what influence is. To influence someone is to, to be able to do that. Now, the essence
0: of influence,
1: that's the key. What really makes one influential? And I would say that it's not about pushing others. It's not about, you know, you don't hear people say, well, that Jason, he is so influential. He has a lot of push with people.
0: You would you hear someone say that, Jason Silverman,
1: he's very influential. He has a lot of pull with people. And I believe that really is the essence of influence. It's pull. It's, it's an attraction. Great influencers attract people to themselves and to their ideas. And again, they do this not through push, but through its opposite, pull. Uh, this pull is really a very legitimate form of, of power. And power, I would say, is the opposite of force. Force is control, it's manipulation, it's intimidation, it's compliance. As a leader, as an influencer, uh, you you can compel certain people to do certain things. Again, that's push, that's force, that's manipulation. You can compel them, but it's typically not going to work out very well. You may or may not achieve instant gratification, and you you also may not, but you won't achieve long-term because once you've done that once, they're going to stay away from you. Or they're going to try to sabotage what you know what what they've been compelled to do. On the other hand, when you've when you influence the right way through persuasion, you've elicited their commitment, and that's so key. One of my great friends and a mentor of mine, Donny Sumachi, great leadership speaker and author, uh, Donny often says that when it comes to leadership and influence, uh, compliance will never take you where commitment can go. And thus to be a great influencer, and I would say great influencers, they question themselves continually. Uh, How does what I'm asking this person to do align with their goals, uh, their needs, their wants, their desires? How does what I'm asking this other human being to do align with uh, their values? And when you do that, you've gone a long way toward earning that
0: commitment and that's influence that that 's easily the best definition and explanation i 've ever heard so, um, t- tell me this you know when I think back to you know having jobs and having employers um, can't a boss you know or your supervisor really just can 't they just order their employees to do what they want i mean after all it 's not like they can 't just fire them and find somebody else so how does that play into this
1: well they absolutely can do that the, the question is is that going to work best for them uh you know uh, again uh, somebody who is a and this is a, where positional authority or positional leadership comes in the person has a title whether it's it's a supervisor department head manager or even employer and jason let's face it as you just said um uh, even those with only positional authority can still compel certain people to do certain things. The employee knows if they want any chance for advancement, a promotion, a raise, or on the other side, to not be punished or disciplined or fired, well they do need to do what they're, they're told. But again, that's compliance. And most of the time, that's not going to work out either for them or for the boss, you know, for, for the person doing that. And I, I'll i often ask my audiences when I speak at a leadership conference, I'll, I'll say, you know, when you've been in a position where your leader has compelled you to do something and you felt powerless, you weren't part of the decision or you weren't, your buy-in was not elicited, it was simply a matter of being compelled to do so, did you really, really do your best, you know? <laughs> Usually not. You know, people kind of get that uncomfortable look on their face. And uh, and, and so I'll say that a lot of times what happens is when people have to do things because of being compelled, at best, they'll do exactly what they're told and not one bit more. At worst, they'll find a way to sabotage the process completely. And and then I'll say, have you ever experienced that... uh, uh, you know that that part of human nature, and, and they'll they'll nod, and I'll say, I think everybody has, and then I'll say, Have you ever been the one to to do that that you know that part of human nature? And they'll laugh because I think most of us have at some time or another. It might have been while we were very young and a bit less mature, but who says that anybody's necessarily mature? <laughs>
0: That's it's it, it's spot on. Uh, it it really is um, one one. I guess, tangential point here, um, because you know, we brought this up before, but you know, I know that you claim there's a big difference between persuasion and manipulation. And since we're talking about the whole influence thing, um, can you break that down? You know, what, what is the difference?
1: Sure. Well, again, when you influence, you're causing them to take action. The question is, how are you doing it? Are you doing it through manipulation or persuasion? And and again, one could very easily ask, and it's a very legitimate question. What's the difference? And and so, again, we need to define those um, as well. And for a long time, I really didn't define them well. I didn't define the difference well. Uh, uh, you know, I intuitively knew, and I knew on a surface level, but didn't do a great job of explaining. And I, I you know, there's a saying that that it, it's an often said uh, bromide in a sense, but that if you can't explain something, if you can't define something very simply, you probably don't understand it particularly well. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> at, at that point, I went on a quest to really understand the difference between persuasion and manipulation. And I, I, was reading a book, it was written in 1986, uh, by Dr. Paul W. Sweats. It was entitled, The Art of Talking So That People Will Listen. And it was really much more about listening than it was about talking. It was a, a very, very brilliant book. And, uh, in it, he gave what I thought was the best, the best, uh, explanation of all. He, he wrote that manipulation aims at control, not cooperation. It does not consider the good of the other party and results in a a win-lose situation. In direct contrast to the manipulator, the persuader seeks to enhance the self-esteem of the other party. The result is that people respond better because they're treated as responsible, or we could say response-able, self-directing individuals. So I believe, Jason, that the difference begins with intent. Okay, the the, just begins there, but there's more to it. Uh, it begins with intent. The manipulator doesn't care who they have to hurt to get what they want. They may not try to hurt someone, but they don't care if they do, because it's all about them. They are totally I-focused or me-focused. Uh, it's win at all costs. Um, the persuader will never let that happen. The persuader is focused on the other person and wants to make sure that both parties come out ahead and, and feel good about the, the transaction of a relationship. So again, it starts with intent, but it goes further. Why? Because both a manipulator and a persuader, and let's face it, the two are cousins, okay? A manipulation and persuasion. Both the manipulator and the persuader understand human psychology, they understand how the human how human motivation is and what motivates people to, to take action. Uh, but the, the, the manipulator is the evil cousin, and the persuader is the good cousin. Now, so it begins with intent, And and both of them can elicit, uh, both the the manipulator and the persuader can elicit instantaneous action, okay? However, the influencer can typically only do it once. Because once a person realizes they've been manipulated, um, they will not do business with that person again. They will try as hard as they can to sabotage that person if it comes up. They will never have anything good to say about them. They will avoid them at all costs. The persuader is just the opposite. The persuader, once they've persuaded, you feel so good about them and for legitimate reasons. You know, they have your best interests at heart as well. That, uh, you know, not only do you feel great about it, but you're going to commit to that person pretty much whenever there's anything that, that, you know, that you're involved in. So while manipulation can, can have a short term, and, and often it doesn't, by the way, because a lot of times I mean, if someone senses they're being manipulated, it's over. So not only is, is is persuasion a better life skill, it's a better business skill as well. You're much you're much better off, uh, even for simply selfish reasons. You're much better off being an other-focused persuader than a self-focused manipulator. Huh.
0: Fantastic! I'm, I'm sorry, I'm I'm still taking notes here as <laughs> I'm listening. Um, this is this is great. You know. One of the things that I really loved when I dove into uh, into adversaries and into allies was, you know, you talk about there being five principles of ultimate influence. Um, would you would you go through those?
1: Sure. The uh, five principles themselves are: uh, control your own emotions, understand the clash of belief systems, acknowledge their ego, set the proper frame. And communicate with tact and empathy.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Now, here's, here, let's functionalize this for, for our listeners, if you would. Can you give us like a real life example of a time, you know, when these come into play?
1: Sure. Uh, you know, first it's just very important to, to understand that controlling our own emotions is where it all begins because it's only when we can control our own emotions. It's only when we're the boss of ourselves That we're even in a position where we can take a negative situation or person and turn that into a win for everyone involved. As human beings, we are emotional creatures. Uh, We like to think we're logical, and we are to a certain extent, but we're very emotion-driven. And we make a lot of decisions emotionally. We also allow our feelings to be hurt emotionally. And... When we do that and when we are reactive to having our feelings hurt or being offended or being insulted or whatever, what happens, we're not in control of ourselves. And so that this is very important. We're basically powerless when we're not controlling our own emotions. Now, someone listening to this might think, well, Bob, are you saying we should be some unemotional robot? And, and that's not it at all. Emotions are a great part of life. They, they make life joyous and, and, and fun and worthwhile. But as again, my good friend Donnie Scumachi says, and I paraphrase here, she says, hey, by all means, take your emotions along for the ride, but make sure you are driving the car. <laughs> and, and that's very important. You know, we, we then go into understanding the clash of belief systems, which simply means that we are all run by an operating system. That we had nothing to do with creating. It, it began uh, pr- pretty much from the day we were born, and it's a combination of upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television shows, movies, uh, popular entertainment, uh, you know, or popular culture, cultural mores, everything we touch, taste, see, hear, and smell. Uh, it's everything that comes into our mind that we basically did not consciously accept, we just accepted it. And we, our, our lives are basically run by this operating system. Most people are not conscious of it. And on top of that, the other person with whom we're about to have this uh, interpersonal challenge, perhaps, they're run by their own operating system or their belief system. Now, to top it off, as human beings, we tend to believe that other people see the world as we see the world. How could it be anything else? We don't know anything else other than how we see the world. This is why uh, you will often, Jason, hear people say things like, oh, everybody feels that way. Nobody likes that. Uh, yeah. You know, or, or if you've ever heard or, or, or even heard yourself saying, well, I would never do that to someone. Well, no, you wouldn't. That's your belief system. But other people have different belief systems. So, so we need to... Understand, the it's not that we need to understand their belief system, we probably are not going to, they probably don't totally understand it, but we need to simply understand that in this interpersonal transaction there are probably two very different belief systems at work, and as long as we understand that, now we're in the, the uh, context, uh, the environment of being able to, to work within it. Uh, acknowledge the other person's ego simply means understanding not only our own ego that can get away from us, but, but acknowledging the fact that if this person is acting in a way that's kind of productive or nasty or uh, in some way isn't helping them or anyone, there's a good chance their ego is come, has come into play. And we need to acknowledge that, not to them, but <laughs> we need to acknowledge that to uh, in order to be able to work successfully within that. It Set the proper frame, that's simply a matter of creating... Uh, creating the, the premise from which everything else is going to take place. It might be as simple as a greeting to someone. It might be a, a, a hearty good morning or a big smile. Or it might be as, as you're when you're in a group and someone's approaching, simply kind of opening up your body language so that they feel welcome. It's, it's setting the frame for the transaction. And, of course, communicating with tact and empathy simply means you're able to, to speak to that person in a way that rather than creates resentment and resistance, opens them up to you and your idea. Uh, very quickly, uh, you know, I talk in the book about, and the book is filled with example after example of real-life situations that the reader has probably been in and will be in again, and I want to equip them with a very simple way of being able to, to come out of it, really handling it beautifully. And I recall pulling into a parking space and not paying attention as I should have been and nearly hitting a guy, and the guy gave me a really, really nasty look. Now, he reacted he, he was not in control of his emotions. I don't blame him, but that's just how it was. But <laughs> but I needed to be in control of mine. Because if not, I might have, you know, looked back up with a nasty look. What are you looking at? And he just said, Watch where you're going and you know, those things are never are, are never good. Um, so I was able to, to control my emotions and what I did is rather than buy into his frame, which was one of anger and, and 108. Uh, I simply smiled with an apologetic smile. I raised my hand in the air in a polite wave, And through the windshield, I just went, sorry. And he immediately looked back and went, oh, no problem. And that was it. Uh, as simple as that. And rather than buying into his frame, I responded rather than reacted. Uh, and I rather than buying into his frame, I reset his frame so now it was two allies rather than two adversaries, and of course I did that by using
0: tact. <laughs> it's a great example, and, and and obviously it's one we've all, <laughs> we've at some point, have have done something similar. So what a, what a difference on on how that could have worked out. So yeah. spectacular. Now, you say if there's one question that you can ask it's pretty much guaranteed to keep a potential misunderstanding from ever actually taking place. Uh, would you mind sharing that with our listeners?
1: Well, this goes back to belief systems, that we can all hear a certain word or a certain term, and we have our own definitions of that word or that term. And because it's coming from our belief system, we assume everyone else sees it the same way. And that can, that there can be a lot of confusion there very simple example would be uh, you and your friend that say, hey, let's, uh," your friend says, hey, let's meet tomorrow night at at tomorrow afternoon at 5 o'clock at the beach. And so you say, okay, great, meet you there. So 5 o'clock, you show up at that meeting place on the beach where people who are meeting at the beach show up and your friend's not there. The next day you see him and you say, well, I thought you were going to be at the beach at 5. He says, I was. No, you weren't. Yes, I was. No, you weren't. Yes, hey, I was there. You weren't there. Well, what you end up finding out is when he said, uh, meet at 5 o'clock at the beach, and you thought it was the the beach at the ocean, he was talking about the brand-new restaurant called The Beach. <laughs> so you were both talking about two different things, but thinking you were talking about the same. Uh, you know, if the, the person says, uh, the team leader says, well, just heard from a client, things have changed, we've got to complete the project immediately. Well, what does immediately mean? So to one person, it means right away, I've got to cancel the ball game tonight, I was going to take my daughter to, instead I've got to stay all night and do this. And so you do that, and you you finish your part, and the next morning, the person comes in and you say, well, did you get your part done? No, it doesn't have to be done until next week. I thought you said immediately. Yeah, well, immediately, meaning sometime in the next week. So again, what we need to do is simply ask that person what they mean by, or to define their terms. Uh, but we do it in a way that also is kind and tactful, so it doesn't come across as though we're challenging the person and making that person defensive. So in this last case, it might be, uh, Jerry, just my own clarification, when you say immediately, is there a specific date you're thinking? Boom. And if you do that for the rest of your life, you will cut out about 95% of the... Um, uh, of the confusion <laughs> that you, the misunderstandings you ever have with someone. Now, also remember when you're the person saying immediately, and you say it needs to be done immediately, and uh, by that just so we're on the same wavelength, uh, immediately in this case means uh, you know Wednesday by five p.m.
0: Wow, <laughs> I mean conceptually, <laughs> yeah. You know, as, as a married guy, um, that would really resolve and, and make. Married life significantly easier as well. So, um, that's great. That really, really is. Now, one of the, uh, one of the most difficult things that we as, as human beings have to do sometimes is, you know, to tell somebody no, you know, and it can be difficult. So why is it that it's so difficult for us? And, and is there anything we can do to overcome that? Sure.
1: Well, I think the reason we, we, weed- most of us have a challenge saying no is because we want to please others. You know, we want to come through for people when we're asked. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a great thing. The only time it's not great and is actually counterproductive is when we feel compelled to say yes to something that we want to say no to. Then it's not a good thing. Um, so, unless, you know, unless we want to do something and or it's, it's something we feel is necessary as a in being congruent with our value system, uh, no, we should say yes when we want to say yes and be able to say no when we want to say no. So how do we do it in such a way that we can, we can honor the other person while still respecting our, our own boundaries? And there are two schools of thought that seem to be the, the ones that, that usually are, are taught. And I personally just don't think either one of them is the most productive. Uh, The first, I've been hearing a lot over the last couple of years, both on TV, and I've even seen people say this in seminars, where the person says, well, you know what, when you're asked to do something you don't want, just realize that no is a complete sentence. And uh, so, in other words, just say no to the person. And I see people's heads nodding in empowerment, as though, oh yeah, from now on, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to rudely say no to people. Well, I don't think that is. First of all, it's not very nice. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's kind of rude. Uh, and, uh, you know, if we don't have to be, why, why would we? But what it also does on a more practical level is it turns that person off to you. It turns a, an ally into an adversary or someone who could be an ally into an adversary. It, it, um, it precludes you being asked by that person again, most likely. So you might miss an opportunity to do something in the future with that person that you do want to do. But mainly, it's not congruent with your value system, which is to treat people with respect and kindness. So I don't think that's a great way to do it. Uh, the other way people will often do it is they'll make an excuse. They'll say, well, I would, but I, I, I don't have the time. Well, the challenge with that, let's say you've been asked to serve on a committee. And you say, well, I would, I'd love to help out, but I just don't have the time right now. The challenge with that is twofold. One is that, you do have the time. What you don't have is the desire to do it. And, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you value not doing it more than you value doing it. Um, but as human beings, we make the time. We don't have the time for anything today. We make the time for that which we value and want to do. So it's kind of fitting into yourself, which always feels a little bit yucky, because you, you know it inside. The other thing, though, is that person's going to have an answer. They're going to be able to, in, in sales vernacular... They're going to answer the objection. And when they uh, persuasively communicate that the fact that time is not going to be an issue, now we're in a position where we either have to admit that we were fibbing because we don't really want to do it, and that's going to have that person lose respect for us, and we're going to feel badly, or we, uh, in order to save face, we have to then say yes and do the thing we don't want to do. And again, I believe that's not very good either. So all you do is this, and if you remember this, and just practice it a couple of times, it will make such a huge difference in your life. You simply, with, with no defensiveness, just kindness, you simply respond to the person by saying, thank you so much. Uh, while it's not something I'd like to do, please know how honored I am to be asked.
0: <laughs> That's
1: it. You know, you, you, you're very kindly, you thank them, you let them know that you're honored. But without excuses, you've simply told them it's not something you
0: choose to do That's, that's, a, uh, that's a great way to It's a great way to frame that. I love that now, how about uh, i've got a uh, obviously the, the book has really created this ridiculous list of questions, so uh, I appreciate you bearing with me. you know how about you want to buy a product, but you know it's a bit overpriced. You know, how would you suggest you say this to a salesperson so that they want to work with you?
1: Yeah, well, that's, you know, how you really, it's, it's turning down an offer and, and this times we do that, and, and we should. And let's, let's say we're, you know, buying a product, and we like the product. It's a product you'd like to buy, but for whatever reason, let's say in this case, it's the, it's the price. You just feel the price is too high for you to be able to, to, to justify doing that. Now, some people might say, "Well, I need it lower. I'm walking, or something." You know, you you get into that kind of that kind of situation, and you know, they may begrudgingly begrudgingly they may negotiate with you, but they're probably, if they can possibly not help you, they're not going to, or they're going to find some way to sabotage it, or find some way to not make your your life easy, uh, and so forth. It's much better to make a friend, and if you can, uh, if you end up buying, great. If you don't, that's okay, but. What I would do to make them really want to work with you is first, of course, treat them with respect throughout the entire uh, transaction, which, which is, you know, that, that's obvious. But even when you say no, rather than just saying no or even, well, no, that, that price is too high. You're going to have to do better than that. What you'd simply say is, you know, I so appreciate your working with me and with this, and I, I, I love the, the idea of being able to do business with you. Unfortunately, at, at this price... I'm really not able to justify making the purchase. Boom. Then it's an I message. You're not able to justify making it. It has nothing to do with that person, with the salesperson. It's, and it's, it's, you know, it's just simply at that price I can't justify. So no one's being insulted. You've let them know it. You know, you love the idea of working with them. You appreciate them. But at this price, I'm, I'm, Just not able to justify making the investment. Now, what you do is you don't say anything for a couple seconds and see if he'll come back with a lower price if he's able to do that. Sometimes he can't, but if he can, he'll do that and then you can decide if that's good enough or if you still need a lower price. Um, but if you really, really want this product and he doesn't say anything, what you might say is, uh, to him is, is, you know, Dave or, or, or Pat, um, um uh, Let me just ask, is there any chance you could that you could come down on the price just because uh just so that i don 't have to uh go comparative shopping uh so what you 're saying to them basically is that you 're going to go comparison shopping you 're not saying that they totally lost the sale but that you 're going to have to go comparative shopping so you 're giving them a chance in a sense to buy an insurance policy against you buying it from somewhere else if they can come. Down to a lower price.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, I, I I like that. I got another big one for you. Um, can utilizing tact, like you've been talking about, you know, and obviously and empathy as well, can it really get you out of a traffic ticket?
1: Um, yeah, it, it's it actually it, it can and it does many times, not all the time, but but many times. Um, first, it, it won't if. Uh, you know, if you really do something egregious, you know, if you, you're speeding through a, you know, a school zone or you're going way over the speed limit on the highway or you, you know, what have you, you're driving recklessly or, or inebriated or something. No, it's not going to work then nor should it. Uh, but when it will often work is, um, you know, when you maybe didn't come to that complete stop or you, you're going a little bit over the speed limit. Uh, not enough to be public enemy crime number one, but certainly still ticket worthy. So what you do is when you see the flashing blues uh, in the mirror, pull over uh, as soon as it's safe to do so, Do a complete stop. And if it's at night, put your inside light on and put your hands on the 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock position on the steering wheel So and stay perfectly still uh, so that the officer can totally see you as they're, they're walking up to you. What you've done in that case is you have shown empathy. You have respectfully communicated to this officer that, hey, you know, while you are doing a great job protecting and serving, I also know that the most dangerous time for you is when you're approaching the driver's side of a vehicle that you've just stopped. So they're going to appreciate you doing that. I actually learned that first part from a, a former uh, state trooper. And so just doing that, you've set the, the proper frame. Now, when they ask if you, you know, when they greet you, make sure you greet respectfully, of course. And then um, when they ask if you realize you were going X miles an hour in a so-and-so zone, you then say, yes, I, I do realize that you're absolutely right and I apologize. Or if this is true, you might say, you know, officer, I did not realize it until I, I heard your siren. Uh, I looked down and absolutely I, I was going at that, that speed. I apologize. So what you've done, again, aside from showing respect to them, You have, um, you've not lied. And that that separates you from a lot of other people because they're they're used to hearing every excuse in the book and they don't really believe any of them at this point. So you've, again, separated yourself. Uh, Then what you might say is, you know, again, officer, it was totally my fault and I I make no excuses for it. I accept total responsibility. Uh, This isn't something I usually do. And I wonder if it would be appropriate if I could possibly get off with just a warning. So again, in a very kind, tactful, non-threatening way, you asked for the order, so to speak, you ask. And then you also did something very important. You gave him the out or the back door. You said, if it would be appropriate. So again, you're making them feel very, very comfortable with you. They want to do the best they can for you at this point. Uh, now, by this time, you probably are going to know that you've either gotten a warning or whatever, and probably just a warning. But if you need to, you can utilize what I call the eight key words um, that will practically always move someone to your side of the issue. Uh, Again, that assumes you've framed it correctly and set it up with politeness and patience. And that is to simply say, if you can't do it, I'll definitely understand. Again, you've respectfully given them an out, a back door. You've let them know that, yeah, you do hope they can, but that they are of more value than the outcome and you you've just put yourself in a position where you have given yourself the best opportunity to get out of that ticket. It doesn't work every time it works most of the time and not only has it worked for me, but it 's worked for many, many people who've emailed me to thank them for saving them money and uh a trip to driving school
0: i'm going I'm going to be keeping that one in the back pocket. I appreciate that let's uh Let's talk politics for a second. obviously it's a fiery subject, just like religion always is. But, you know, we seem to be seeing more and more friendships getting ruined over these, ruined these, these, you know, over politics, you know, and especially on Facebook and other social media. You know, what's going on here and, and how do you persuade someone to your side of the issue politically without turning them off? You know, this, this quite might, this really might be the ultimate adversary into ally situation.
1: Sure, and I, actually I guess on, on the bird.com blog I just did a, a post on this because I think it's so very important. Uh, you know, it comes down in a way that people's political views, if they have strong political views, or whether it's on the left or the right, um, it, it, they tend to identify very strongly with their political views, just much in the same way that they would with their religion. And think about it, you know, when you, if you offend someone's religion, are they usually happy about it? Probably not. And it's the same with politics. So, so they have a certain view, which, again, is based on their belief system. It's, it's almost unconscious how how attached they are to it. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you, if you ever hear or, or you see on Facebook or Twitter or, or maybe even in person sometimes, and someone says, you no, people like you are just ruining this country. Do you even think, do you have a brain or are you looking to just ruin it for everyone, Right. Um, Does the person ever respond by saying, you know, I hadn't thought about it that way before. You're absolutely right. I am just an idiot. I'm a moron. I'm going to from now on take your side of the issue. Never. (laughs) Probably not. Yeah, never. In fact, the person's only going to get angry and they're going to insult the other person and and it's two real adversaries. So instead, my suggestion very quickly is simply understand that the person on the other side of the aisle... Probably wants the best for this country and for people in it. They want to have a country in which people are free to 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 live lives as they see fit, uh, to be healthy and and abundant and happy and so forth. But they have a different way of believing it will uh, uh, that regarding the best way to get there. Okay, so their intent is is probably good. So, this, so the first thing is to acknowledge that. Just understand that in your own mind, that this person's not a monster. They're a human being who has a, a certain set of beliefs that may or may not be correct, but that's their beliefs. Uh, so, but they do have good intents, okay? Now, remember, intent isn't everything. You know, the, the road to really bad places are filled with good intent. But it's understanding that the intent is there. You have to start from there. Then it's communicating to them that you understand their intent is good. And that's as simple as saying something like, you know, while I don't necessarily agree with what you're saying, um, what I like about it is that it's obvious that you have great intent and that you really do care about people. So when you say that, now instead of insulting that person, you've let that you've communicated to that person that you recognize that they're a human in being with good intent, and you, you can disagree, but that you don't, you don't dismiss their humanity because of it. Then what you want to do is find that place of agreement, and again, it might be something like you know, just saying, you know, Dave or or, or uh, Patricia, like you, I want, I also want to live in a country where people are able to, blah 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 blah. I think the biggest difference in how we believe is the best way to go about it. Would you agree? And then the person writes back and says, Well, yeah. I don't see how, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's an interesting question, and boom. And now you're in a conversation between two allies rather than two enemies or or adversaries in this case. Now, you're probably not going to change that person's mind during a first conversation. But what you're going to do is you're going to open the door to future conversations. You're going to open the door to their maybe being a bit open when they hear another person's viewpoint. Here's the other thing you're doing. A lot of times people listening to this, whether they're, whether it's in person or just on the internet, they're the people that don't necessarily have a, an opinion or belief that cannot be changed. They may be on the fence. So they're kind of lurking and watching the conversation. And if they see you, who they may not totally agree with, but kind kind of understand your point, and they see
0: you being very kind and thoughtful and tactful and
1: empathetic, and they see this other person being kind of nasty, whose side do you think is gonna have more
0: credibility? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, at at this point, I, I wanna I want to head right into the resource of the week. And now here's your real deal resource of the week. <laughs> so how can, our listener, how can our listeners learn more about you and, and where to find your books? because I got to tell you this should be mandatory reading for anybody you know who's alive.
1: <laughs> well, that, that's a great compliment. thank you so much. Uh, Jason, they can find me at burg.com and while they're there, they go to the right hand side of the page. they'll see a graphic of the book Adversaries into allies. If they click on that it will take them to a page where they can download chapter one. Or while they're there, they can simply go right through to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com, or they can get it at their local bookseller. While they're at burg.com, they can visit my blog if they like. They can visit uh, uh, the link to where it says uh, "Join our community, uh, our GoGiver International community." I think it says the GoGiver way. Uh, they can connect with me on bar- the various social media, and per- so pretty much everything is right there at burg.bu.r.g.com.
0: Perfect. Folks, get there and get there now. Bob, thank you so, so very much for joining me today. I know how crazy busy your schedule is, and it means the world to me that you share some some time and, and a lot of your wisdom with us. These have been great tips, and really, I've enjoyed catching up with you.
1: Well, I appreciate that very much, Jason. I love the work you're doing and the coaching you're doing and how much really significant value you're adding to so many people. So keep up the great work, my friend.
0: Thank you. Well, folks, that's all the time we've got for today. Thanks for tuning into The Real Deal with Jason Silverman. For more information about private coaching or to see if you'd benefit from one of my mastermind groups, please visit www.jasonmsilverman.com or email me at jason at I look forward to helping you achieve the success that you truly deserve. Until next time, let me leave you with this. Get out there and be the real deal. Build your business with maximum efficiency and optimize productivity so that you can enjoy the success that you so truly deserve. Now's the time, folks. Get out there and make it happen. Go get them. This has been Jason Silverman, and I hope you have a spectacular week. Take care, all. You've been listening to The Real Deal with Jason Silverman. To access the great resources mentioned in the show and for information on coaching and mastermind group opportunities with Jason, please visit jasonmsilverman.com.